0: Nearly one in ten CS students drop out.
1: Really? Only one in ten? <laughs> At uh, Dartmouth, we, we shoot for fifty-fifty. <laughs> <laughs> kidding.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Green Code Podcast. Today, we're pretty excited and grateful as well because we have the whole director of the Dolly Lab, Tim Tregewolf, with us today to have a conversation about life, literally, and, and his tech career, how he's been able to become this amazing man who's influencing a lot of young people and raising a lot of, you know, tech students and tech entrepreneurs out of the Dolly Lab at Dartmouth College. And so this is going to be a very intense conversation, pretty deep, because we're we'll going to talk about a lot of stuff. So. Get ready for it. Welcome, Tim.
1: Hi, Kwame. How's it going?
0: I'm pretty good. How uh, you been?
1: i I've been pretty well. Uh, busy, but I'm excited to be here for this inaugural kickoff podcast. <laughs> I don't know all that s- stuff you said about the whole me. I, you know, there's a lot of. <laughs> Gaps in my memories. Who knows? Well, <laughs> uh, but I'll try to be as as whole as possible for this.
0: Uh, cool. For this cool. intense
1: conversation. Yeah. Bring the intensity. Let's go.
0: Okay. Let's go. So let's let's start off with maybe your early life. Um, maybe tell tell us a little bit about you, how you you're growing up, and how that sort of influenced where you are right now
1: sure uh, um so I grew up in an artistic family um my parents are both artists they're religious artists so my dad paints Byzantine icons my mm. dad mom embroiders icons um very visual um art um and my dad's a pastor in mm. Eastern Orthodox Church so I grew up living next to a church with a very rich community um our house was kind of the the community center so there are people in and out, people staying over. Every mm. every lunchtime, we had a, a sort of a running joke that every lunchtime somebody managed to just stop by, right at lunch, like right before <laughs> lunchtime. So uh, in my family growing up, it was very much like the extended community was really the family community mm. as well. Uh, right. Um, so I, I think that was an important bit of uh, of my development. Um, sort of figuring that out balancing that um I hated school as a kid
0: why did you hate school
1: um the schools in the town I was in were pretty terrible um across the board the private the public um there weren't a lot of options and I was kind of an anxious kid I think um surprisingly I had like social anxiety um surprising given that i grew up in a rich community and right i think it was just a lot of pressure uh, <laughs> um so in sixth grade i asked to drop out um so no way my parents took a little convincing but, um, but i ended up quitting school uh, sixth grade sixth grade wow uh, i like to say uh, i dropped out of school i mean i homeschooled um but loved it. I loved just learning on my own. Uh, I would do like a subject at a time. So it's like world history, and I just read the book in a week, um, do some of the homeworks, whatever, write some, so
0: you said you had a Um, timetable for yourself, you did this?
1: Well, it was technically a correspondence school back slightly before the internet days. So I would mail my work to a teacher. Oh, Um, struggled a little bit, sort of with it was very freeform also, So, but it was nice in some way. Um, I could do whatever I want. I carved wood. I started a business, wood carving. Right. Um, I ran a printing press, uh, like a, an offset printing press, with, like all the moving parts and ink and stuff, which is a lot of fun. Interesting. Um, so I got to do a lot of sort of extra stuff. I took college courses, uh, took some Dartmouth courses, first class I took. It was modern Greek. It was the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. Um, The algorithms is hard? No. (laughs) Take modern Greek with Irini. Um, And so the first class, uh, maybe there were 20 people in that first class, uh, dropped to 12 after that first class. Um, She had to stand in a circle and said, well, we're going to learn the Greek alphabet. Go. Like, many of us did not know the Greek alphabet. We've got extra characters all this stuff but we played this game where we would go around in a circle and you had to you would say a letter then i would say your letter and my letter and the next person and if you messed up you had to restart
2: Ooh. and we
1: did that for an hour <laughs> like, there were people ready to cry um, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun and challenging and um anyway i survived the class and then it was like oh i actually did okay so mm. maybe i'll take more and then after that, I was really interested in graphic design, uh, like print media design, um, but we didn't have any money for me to go to college. And I applied to art schools and art schools don't give financial aid. Uh, mm. So didn't go to college. Um, instead, started a little company doing web design.
0: How, uh, what, what, what age are we talking about here?
1: 18.
0: Why did you choose to get work in tech? Like, why did you? shoes hmm. because the, I, i'm pretty sure around that yes the dot com you know yeah. bubble was but, <laughs> but but why tech
1: yeah no that's a good question um i think i had a when i was a kid maybe like ten, eleven. i had a friend who was older um and he had a commodore 64 computer and we thought it was the coolest thing. It was old and dusty. And then somebody gave me an old dusty Commodore sixty four as well. And you know, the prompt on that thing was basic. So we he sort of did a lot of programming on it and mm. introduced me and I kinda idolized him and was like, Oh man, I wanna do that seems what cool. I <laughs> do what you do. Um Yeah, and I was just kind of always a nerdy kid. So I liked I like that I can do things on the computer. I made a, my first game with a text-based adventure game. Mm. Um, all I knew was conditionals and it was basic. So conditionals and go-to statements, mm-hmm. um, it's very long. I enjoyed writing the story. Um, it didn't work very well, but I printed it out at one point because I just wanted to see how much code and it was, you know, stacks and stacks of pages of story, mostly, um, Wow! but, but that was fun. And, you know, I was able to have this. And it was also different from what everybody else in my family did, so there was a little bit of like special. I uh, <laughs> um, was the
0: computer guy, right? Yes. Um, wow, interesting. So, so I'm guessing tech was like it was love at, at first sight for you when you saw um, when you you were you got the Commodore sixty four, and then yeah. you saw Basic, and like you wanted to do more with that
1: yeah, I think so. Um, and then it wasn't that I really chose it. You know, it was a thing I would played around with as a kid. I'm pretty like, good at it. Um, at one point, we built speakers because we were really just into playing games on, on the thing, and not even really good at playing the games, but we built big speakers because we wanted to play really loud chip tunes. Um, hmm. so we did that. Um, and I was really proud of those speakers. Um, but then there was this new website called Monster.com where mm-hmm. you can find jobs online. So I was like, okay, I'll just I'll post a mm-hmm. Why not? I kid you not. Twenty minutes later, I have a call on the phone from a recruiter, and two hours later had an interview. Some company in Boston, and then I worked in Boston for a little bit. Didn't really love it. Um, at the time, it was kind of the end of the dot-com boom dot com boom and the tech industry was weird Uh, i worked with a lot of people who like they worked hard and then on the weekends but there were adults there were people with kids and then on the weekends all they wanted to do was drink and then i had a friend who was here at dartmouth he was like hey come work at dartmouth you can take classes for free so i got a job in it in the computer science department um it took a few years for me to build up the courage to try a dartmouth class (laughs) because It was scary. I hadn't really taken a class in sixth grade. Right. Um, it was a very different, non-traditional Dartmouth experience because the thing I looked forward to every day was that class. So my boss was nice. He let me go to class during hmm. the day, and then I do my homework in the evening. And it was like the highlight. It was my hobby. It was the the, the thing I most look forward to. The joy. Um, and I went deep into every class I took as and had the time I didn't have a family and uh, then I finished my undergrad eventually it took me six years so not a ton longer right um, a little bit longer mm. and then there's this new master's program in digital Arts um it's a great program everybody should do it uh, <laughs> and yeah like one of the one of the things that we did was we had a class that introduced research how do you do research um very free form and and one of the things i've always wanted to rethink is how we browse the web so in in undergrad the thing i studied was cognitive science largely psychology and computer science a self-designed program between those two Um, and one of the things i learned was that humans have really good spatial memory so if you lose your keys the way you try to remember that is by remembering sort of a spatial path you're like where was I where did I walk to right and and we're very good at like navigating the world yeah 3D spaces yes um so in this case it was like well could we sort of use your the temporal relationship of like okay I went to a website and then I navigated to another one from that website it's actually kind of a spatial relationship it's a path. Right. So like sometimes you forget the web, you were like, oh I saw, I read this cool article. Oh God, I don't remember. Where did I Where where did I find yeah. it? And what you do is you retrace how you found it. You can't just remember it, but often you'll be like, oh, I went to Google. I think I searched for this. And then I clicked on the third link. Yeah. And so there's like a spatial relationship that you're trying to reconstruct. So this basically presented that on the screen. Mm. It was like, okay, can we have a node-based view of your browsing? And enabled a lot of really cool things. Hypothetically, we never built it. There have been a few. I actually,
0: attempts, I actually yeah. thought you built it. Why didn't you build it? It was, it was just for research purposes for you.
1: Yeah, and then I had to graduate and didn't have time.
0: But you built. You've also developed a lot of games, like Chess Invaders. So, like, <laughs> what went into Chess Invaders? Like,
1: <laughs> so my mom calls me up and she says, "I was reading this article that says that nobody's playing chess anymore," and that. Particularly helpful for girls to learn chess, and this was before I really knew about like human design or user right. research. Right. But I started asking like my friends, and, and it turned out a lot of college students at Dartmouth don't know how to play chess. So That's... what I wanted to do was build a game that just made that made it intuitive. So you weren't really playing chess, but you were learning the moves enough so that you could just see them without trying. Mm. Um, so it was repeating <laughs> the moves over and over again in a different dynamic. Um, Kind of a simple idea. It was taking Space Invaders, so the pawns are like attacking yeah. you. And you just jump. You, you there's upgrades, and so you get to play different different pieces with different move structures. Right. So I built this, this silly game. It took me a long time. I didn't know anything about oh, game programming, so it took me a year. Um, I reimagined the game like 15 different times. It was a lot of spaghetti code, <laughs> super ugly. Finally, I, I was kind of dragging my feet, and Laurie Loeb. Um, who founded the lab with me uh, after that, a few years after that. But um, she was like, look, you have to learn how to finish. Like <laughs> you, you need to, you started this, mm-hmm. just ship it. And then you'll, you'll have a resolution and it won't be hanging over your head. Mm. Very good advice. Um, like one of the biggest advice I now pass on to people, right. uh, piece of advice. Uh, so <laughs> I released it, App Store. Day later, it had 10,000 downloads, Um, and that kept up for Did you do
0: any marketing for
1: it? Zero marketing. Wow. It was the number one game in Kazakhstan for, I don't know, a week, Uh, (laughs) randomly. But that experience of like, wait, I built a thing, and there are real people who are spending real time, Time there are people who spend hours on it, and just knowing that was like all of a sudden, like, I don't want to say I felt powerful. But, uh, it felt really good. Yeah, felt oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that was one of the st- things in, in my experience, leading up to what I'm doing now, which made me realize that I want to share that experience of like, I have an idea,
2: mm-hmm. like,
1: just, and then you see the impact, and you feel that your work was meaningful, mm-hmm. and then you brought something into existence like that. Bringing into existence, I think, is very important. And surprising how many people don't have that experience, mm. like growing up or in college, you know, you do a problem set. That's not the same thing. You, you produced an answer. Um, that's not the same thing as as producing something right. that changes people's lives. Um, that's it. Wow.
0: This is interesting. So we would probably be shifting into a lot about your stuff you've done at Dartmouth. Um, but let's talk a bit about the... Google 3D Campus thing that you did?
1: Oh, yeah. Was that like your first project you did for Google? So it was a competition that um, a student here at Dartmouth, who's a friend, Jessica Lego, found out about, and she was like, hi, we're going to make this happen. <laughs> um, this is cool. Let's put together a team. So at one point we had like maybe 15 students, like all packed into a room. and so. Jess worked with Lori and Lori was this like networking hub of, uh, of creativity. So, so she was involved in this. Um, she knew Jess and she knew me and all the other students who worked on it, brought us all together, found us a space to work in mm. and we spent, I think it was, a no, it was a couple terms actually and we would just it was we were all friends so we would pile into this room and and make buildings um so we we did the Dartmouth campus in 3d in three different versions like an 1800s and 1900s and a current I wish we did a future that would have been cool <laughs> um and then one I mean there were a couple finalists uh, won this competition got a trip out to Google um mm-hmm. uh, for I think a, about a week um we had like workshops. Mm-hmm. We learned about 3D that we use a tool called SketchUp. So we learned yeah. about SketchUp at the time. I think Google owned SketchUp for a short period of time. They don't don't I believe, but, um, we were also real troublemakers. <laughs> that was hilarious. Google stopped doing the the visit after, after, well, I think.
0: Why, wow, what did you, year. what did you do? <laughs>
1: So we just wanted to hang out. So they had all these things planned for us, like itineraries and things like that. And we're on the Google campus, mildly unsupervised. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we went and rode the bikes. So Google has bikes that you could just take and, and take around campus. Right. So we just got on the bikes. We were gone for like a couple hours, missed a workshop. And then like our, our the person who was in charge mm-hmm. of us right. really gave gave us a talking to me in particular because you know i was older i was um not quite in the same path as the other students just like that was not a googly thing to do you need to have a googler with you at all times while on campus i just couldn't like (laughs) (laughs) at the time i was a little bit of a rebel i had a mohawk um and yeah so we didn't behave the best interesting
0: um, we had a thing going
1: where we would we would uh, dare each other mm. to try to come up with some ridiculous pickup line to say to like sergey or um, to any of like the c-suite that we met uh, um, <laughs> the one we were trying to get each other to say was do you have a map i just got lost in your eyes oh um, challenging each other to do that eventually a friend of mine did do that to the person who we got in trouble with and so then she came to me and she was like you're really a troublemaker you're <laughs> <laughs> was
2: okay.
1: Was okay. We had uh, interesting but um but after that the next year the same competition they just sent out xboxes
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah they didn't want nobody to come there come and cause trouble anymore (laughs) so you seem to have been you sound very busy like like i'm looking back at your life (laughs) then and it looks it looks pretty busy
1: yeah
0: how much time did you have for yourself
1: not much um so something to know about me is that I was diagnosed with ADD as an adult. Um and at some point I can just talk about that whole experience right. of like what we talked about. It was a fascinating uh, fascinating experience um just kind of learning about myself mm. and how I see the world and that you know maybe there are deficits there. Um But the reason i started seeking it out was because i was kind of creating situations for myself that were overly stressful Um, like taking too much on and only being able to work on stuff under pressure um, when juggling too many things um and that turns out to be kind of a symptom of like a dopamine problem (laughs) like i need to feel
0: the like pressure to do something to
1: do it, um, especially when I'm doing something that's not particularly interesting. If it's interesting. And, and that's something uh, uh, people with ADD often have like a hyper focus on things that are interesting and then no ability to focus on things that aren't. And I've had that throughout my life and it was good to learn finally hmm. how to think about it. Um, I am not as good as most people at Hmm. organizing and multitasking and doing stuff. I kind of run from fire to fire, um, which is not, not productive. Um, but, but I have fun (laughs) Uh, and I miss being a student. Like, I think the thing I tell all my students, um, and I think this is something that I had that I wish more people had Mm -hmm. is that like you're, uh, so lucky and blessed to be in a position where all you have to do is learn yeah maybe you feel distracted by social things parties recruiting whatever but really the only thing you should be focusing on is it's this, learning is this amazing thing where all you do is learn right, right. that's awesome like anybody <clears throat> in that position like you're lucky to be in a place in life where you can just learn, learn. you don't have to do you don't much have else. any other responsibilities uh, on your neck and that i mean people are different walks of life some people need to work at the same time so like i had to work at the right. same time um but still you will <laughs> wish
0: <laughs> you had taking time to learn yeah. and not waste on other stuff <laughs> which would bring me to this point of Co-founding the Dolly Lab. Mm. How did you manage to do that alongside doing your master's program, alongside working? Yeah. So you you had a job. Had a job and yeah. then you were a student mm-hmm. and then you had to co found the Dolly Lab, which meant that you are now gonna be working with extra you're gonna be managing extra people and you were going to be building products and be shipping them. Let's talk about that journey a little bit.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so honestly, it just wasn't me. Um, like I was there, um, I contributed, I contributed But Dolly from the very beginning was a cooperative student led thing. And so, yeah, I was involved. I working on a lot of the early projects. Um, but there was kind of a cohort of master students who made the lab their home. So it was, it was was the important thing for them. The thing that brought us all together. Mm Um, so it was a a lot of work between a lot of different people, Lori, Mm -hmm. um, the partners, all Mm -hmm. the students, people who believed in us, um, just all working together to build cool stuff. I mean, (laughs) as part of my weird Dartmouth journey, at one point I was taking writing five, it's like the intro race in that class. One of the things we had to do was a writing exercise of Imagine Yourself in 10 Years or something like that. And I wrote this little bit of a manifesto. And in that manifesto, what I said was like, look, the important things in life is to work with people you like and respect um, and are friends with, like you care about them. Um, And you build things that matter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that somehow that turned into, like, this company that was doing cool stuff. That was way before any of Dolly. Wow. Um, And then that sort of happened. So when, like, Laurie and I talk about Dolly being, like, a dream come true, like, literally, it was just, like, an exercise that I had gone through. Like, imagine this cool thing. um, And I just wanted to share that experience of you work on something, you build something, and you work with your friends. Um, At the time, uh, actually still, I had this core group of friends. We called ourselves CS fam or we all CS majors, <laughs> uh, related, um, CS majors. And, and yeah, we're still friends to this day because we did 3d campus together. Uh, um, we worked on a bunch of different projects, classes together. Uh, um, green light, Dartmouth, we did together. So there were just a bunch of projects that we worked on right and you make the best friends when you work together exactly um shoulder to shoulder you
0: sleep like, in the lab together right exactly <laughs> you review uh, each other's work Yeah, yeah.
1: you see each other at sort of the most vulnerable when you're like oh, i don't know what i'm doing i'm stuck can you help or and you share the the fun moments of like it, it worked it worked yeah um Yeah. And even though we're sort of geographically dispersed, like most of them are in the Boston area. We see each other all the time and, um, they're like my people. Um, and so I just was like, this is an important thing that I don't think enough people get, um, not enough people do projects, classes and projects. Classes are maybe usually not enough. Like the, the two big ones that we did were multiple terms. So there, there wasn't an end yeah. really. I mean, we won the competition, or Greenlight turned into a company. So the, and there were there were there were end points, but there were long term projects. Right, um, and that's completely different. like you have to you have to get along with somebody through. You don't just get to say, "Hey, I got a hey, grade, I'm right, done, right, um, right." I, I get to move on. I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> uh, like, oh yeah, next week. Yep. <laughs> back at. <it. laughs>
0: Interesting. So then I'm guessing this is sort of what um inspired the way you do stuff at Dolly Lab with the students
1: and everything. Yeah. Yeah, because in in I think what we found is you give people chances to learn. Um you invest it. So at one point a couple of years ago, um we had a program manager Erica Lobal who was like we need to have some values we need to think about what's important to us so we went through this process we talked to students we talked to each other and we had a, a few different uh, structured activities mm-hmm. that we did thinking about like what, what's important and we came up with a set of values which i look at very often because they're really great for living life honestly um but one of the values is invest in each other um and that's something that I often talk to students about, especially in classes where you're working with other people and we're all trying to be very efficient. And it turns out that, you know, maybe I don't know how to do something and you do. So Mm -hmm. in, in the scope of a two week project, the easiest thing for you to do is just do it. I won't learn and you'll be frustrated that you did all the work for the project. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you got that grade
0: and that's it out,
1: Uh, um, next time you'll try not to work with that person again right <laughs> uh, but when you're faced with that decision in life where you have to work with people longer term you should always choose teaching them how to do the thing spend the five extra hours because then they'll learn then they'll contribute right and then yeah maybe at the end of the day it'll take your project a little longer maybe it won't be as good um but you'll both have grown because right. you'll have experience teaching somebody, which is right. really important, um, you'll reframe your own knowledge. And that's kind of very intrinsic to the DALI model is that people pass on their knowledge um, and sort of talk about the peer right. peer, peer education a little bit. Um, but it's just, and it's, and it's more fulfilling for everybody um, even though it's not quite as efficient. Right. Um,
0: hmm. So DALI is 10 years old.
1: Yeah, I'm still here. (laughs) Where did I go wrong?
0: And I I remember, so I read an article that said you made a statement, Dolly Mm. is a remarkably living organism. Yeah. Why do you call Dolly that?
1: Dolly itself. So you're working on a project. Yes, you're building that. But also the whole organization and your team members is a project that you're building. And it's important with every action to be building it in mindfully think about like oh i'm making this place better right. I'm making this program better for the future uh whether you do that consciously or not you are mm. right? uh, by the interactions you have with your peers you change the system right um yeah so i think that that's why and i think the important part is that people feel ownership of what they're doing and of the program and um uh, Maybe ownership isn't quite the right word, but um, responsibility for. Right. Um, like, you're working with some people, you should feel responsible for them. Um, you're working on a project, you're responsible for that project. You're eating together with people, you're responsible for the conversation, what they what they learn from you. Mm. You're, you, know, you you ignore somebody and you've just affected the world in a particular play- right. way um, so every one of those little bits makes up the big data of of the world but specifically of you know this little small <laughs> bit of the world interesting <laughs> so so in some way i think everything we do is like that um dolly isn't particularly special in that yeah um, but we also sort of promote it and make sure that it's on top of people's minds like the sp- students create the programming they create the process you know, uh, what what we do as those staff faculty advisors we just create a little bit of a space for it um, and then
0: leave we'll them watch things alone
1: yeah um, or support where where necessary right um, like I think we you often talk about this inverted triangle where most people think of hierarchy, so like, oh, there's a boss, and the boss tells people what to do, and they tell other people what to do, uh, and there's you know the people at the bottom they right. do the real work. <laughs> Here, I think we think of it to the, the uh, upside down, <laughs> like there's people who do the real <laughs> work at <kinda> the top, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there's people who help them, um, so the mentors in the lab, and then the core leadership students who, who help create the processes and structures right. um, and then the staff at the bottom to just like we, we catch the falling pieces mm-hmm. or we help uh, help unblock people when when they're stuck mm-hmm. um, but we don't tell people what to do and and that's a weird it's weird how hard it is to change people's minds <laughs> e- e- even students who maybe have had few employment opportunities or hierarchical opportunities, and people are just stuck in it. So it's like, oh, but what do you want me to do? You tell me what you want me to help you with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I have ideas, sure, and I can talk about them all day. Right. Um, <laughs> but But that's not helpful.
0: Uh, hmm. Man, there's a lot to talk about. Um, in two minutes, Tell me the coolest project you've shipped out of Dolly and then how a student qualifies to be hired at Dolly to work.
1: Practical questions. Um, okay. H- how to work in Dolly. So I think the most important bits are, that we look for is self-driven motivation. So if you've done projects before. Yeah, and can show that like you'll learn what it takes um, you're I think that's what we look for um at the end of the day yeah there's some particular skills that are useful to know um, but if you're really passionate you can you can show us that you can learn those you can follow a tutorial like learning the skills is not the critical piece it's that um, you want to work together with cool people to build cool things and and you have the energy to make that happen um like you accept the responsibility of mm. creation right um so if you've done that great um yeah, yeah. I think ideally in the future we'd be able to give people more of those experiences so right mm. now we have like these courses like mini courses we call them which is a way to jump start your creation process because often people are like well yeah you asked me to build a thing on my own i don't know how like that's the whole problem right people don't know how to do that right um so that's where we come in with like workshops and these mini series um to help people get to the point where they like, go oh, here's the thing i built i think i can build more in dolly right uh, so right now unfortunately i just don't have enough resources to be able to interact help everybody right because um, honestly i think this is a really cool educational paradigm that we should be doing more right. of um in particular sort of that peer-to-peer like we have students who teach students right, right? and in these mini courses we do a web dev mini course so it's very similar in some way to the classes that i teach mm-hmm. um but it's, taught by a but it's, if it's taught by a student it's better it's taught by a student like the students you know, they call themselves lecturers and they do these uh, they they give talks they sit with the students and they work and they know every student they're approachable they're personal right they care about the students that they're right. teaching i have a hundred students in my class uh, i struggle to know their names and as much as i want to get to know everybody mm i can't because we're on a conveyor belt exactly um, but the peer-to-peer teaching is is kind of saying look like what you need to learn is a small cohort Mm -hmm. people that you're close to that motivate you um, and somebody to guide you that guide does not have to be the best research faculty in the world Mm. they need to get teaching they need to get what this, where the students are at and help them. And that's the important part in teaching. Like it doesn't matter that I've built projects or not or that I have some cool research or not. Um, it's how much I can understand where the students are coming from, reframe problems for right. them if, 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 and create like a learning moment right. for them. Right. And the students are great doing that with each other unbelievable (laughs) um and they love it so the students who are teaching like they're like all so excited right because they're valued they're they they get to see so for me uh, a small tangent now seven years ago with my first class that i taught i did not think teaching was going to be for me um i was terrified i'd spent like three months creating a syllabus from scratch i did not know what i was doing um Hani Farid, who who's kind of my mentor at the time, was like, "Hey, why don't you teach a class? Like, <laughs> hey, <what is> <laughs> hey. um, and so here I am, and like I get nervous in front of people. So I'm in front of this class, small class by today's standards, was 30 people standing in front of class. And, and I'm trying to talk about how like the internet works and I'm explaining some stuff. And at one point i realized that everybody in the class is like nodding along it's like okay that's kind of cool and then this one kid um nodding along at some point just like said out loud because it was a small enough class he was like oh that's how that works and i was hooked i was like that moment like unlocked like i don't know unlocked something in me it was like a power-up moment right. my hair glowed and i was like duh um because it was so rewarding to have been right. able to impart that and and it wasn't anything I did right. like uh, in particular like I, I was nervous I was talking really fast um so um but it got me hooked and I think what we do in DALI is promote that peer learning teaching learning moment where you It's part of every one of our's mission Mm. to teach the the next generation, even if it's the same generation. Right. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of an aside on on I think what what's really powerful um, about how the whole thing works, and people come in and they learn, then they do, and then they teach. Um, I mean, the coolest project that you've shaped. No, I think we're working on the coolest project right now uh um, so we haven't shipped it yet oh uh, it's an ongoing project uh, actually there are two uh, I will talk to you about my two favorite projects <laughs> um, so one is this augmented it's a long title augmented reality difficult airway intubation simulator the the basic premise is that and we've all seen this in like medical TV shows where Patients brought in, they can't breathe, and the first thing that happens is a tube is put down their throat. That process called intubation is actually very difficult. So in the TV shows, it's like, oh, 10 seconds is done, and then the real drama happens. Turns out that moment is real drama. And so we have we're working with the emergency department and with a few attendings and a resident um, who came to the lab and pitched this idea. And they each told a story of how they lost a patient because of some missing preparatory step. Mm. They didn't quite know how to handle a particular situation because they weren't trained in it. And so what they want is a tool that enables kind of lightweight, uh not expensive, um learning um, for a lot of these difficult scenarios. Um and so we're trying to make this a much simpler system, which is low cost. In a headset pretend there's multiple phases to it it's vocal but also potentially in a headset that presents you with all these different scenarios and yeah. guides you through learning them it's going to be super impactful and just knowing that like the people we're working with how much they care about saving, right. saving patients right. lives and this kind of missing training yeah um, amazing amazing the most complicated project we've ever worked on <laughs> we're probably going to be working on it for years uh, i love it um the other project, um, it's also a VR project. I'm not saying that VR projects are inherently cooler. Um, not at all. We've done very impactful. is, is web he projects.
0: saying that? I guess. No, mommy. I'm not. not <laughs> okay, you're not. Um,
1: but this one has a special place in my heart. We've been working on it for maybe five <laughs> years now. Um, it's called vision. The idea behind it started with a student Sam Gockman. Who came to us with this idea of what if you could see like a tarsier. And a tarsier is a, the smallest primate in the world. It's like a couple inches tall. Mm-hmm. And it has a couple of very particular features. It has giant eyes. Each one of its eyes is bigger than its brain. So if you see it, they're very cute. They're little they're big big eyes. Uh, so what if you could Sort of understand the life of the animals, see the world as they do, experience the world as they do. And VR seems perfect at that. Um, originally, he wanted us to build these cool lenses. He would like put this helmet on with these lenses. Mm. Um, we convinced him that that was hard and VR was easy. Right. And here we are five years later still working, <laughs> still working, on, working it. on it. Uh, <laughs> but we've expanded it. So it's not just the Tarzir, even though they're an amazing animal, it's also. Bees and snakes and with all sorts of different perceptual systems. And there was a book recently that came out um, called *An Immense World* by Ed Young. And the book basically goes through trying to understand the life of an animal who does not a non-human animal that does not see the world the way we do. Either they don't see daylight, they don't care about daylight. We love daylight, we hate everything else. <laughs> feel scared in the dark right. or um or who don't see it all and smell the world and build like scent maps of the world like what would that be like if you had a visuospatial understanding of smell like I can walk to the kitchen because I know the scent path there all right that's really cool um But different very different from our perspective and in some way we struggle with understanding each other's perspective exactly Um, like another human's perspective of how they see the world understanding an animal we've run into all these problems of we don't really understand or empathize with an animal who like for whom daylight is confusing Mm. so just like thinking through how we affect the world for animals and that's kind of a simple case but we do that for animals across the spectrum. Mm. We change their world by our with our lights, with our cars, with our sounds, with the way, with the things we like. Right. So, for instance, outdoor lights. Why do they have to be sunlight? Why do they have to be daylight? Because we like daylight. <laughs> if we made them red. A whole bunch of animals would be way happier. <laughs> In fact, we would also be happier because if it's red light, then it doesn't uh, decrease our our night night vision but red light is creepy it's like, it doesn't look good. Uh, But if we switched all our outdoor lighting to red, birds would be be happier, bats (laughs) would be happier, bugs would be happier, (laughs) we wouldn't have all these problems. We don't understand that, we don't know that. And so the idea here is how, let's create a VR experience where people can try out all of these things and learn what an animal's life is maybe more like uh, and then we can empathize we
2: can right like,
1: oh i get it when there's a boat in the ocean and i'm a whale i can't do anything i can't hear anybody um that sucks um let, let's try to show that um so that project will very soon have a huge impact on the world <laughs> i'm looking forward to it now
0: you you you've my appetite like i really like, i want to see the... This product done and shipped, man. But wow! If
1: anybody out there wants to uh, <laughs> spend some money and help us achieve our goals, <laughs> that, that we're would always be accepting a
0: absolutely <laughs> awesome. I mean, you're watching this, and I know this is a very yeah. cool project. Bring the money in, please. We need to, we need the money to finish this project. Please come on, bring the money. We need it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing the money. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, the Higher Education um, Statistics Agency says that. Nearly one in ten CS students drop out, and it's the highest. I bet
1: it's really only one in
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, ten. Well, okay, yeah. According to sure, the, yeah. the la- <laughs> latest research, I
1: found out. At Dartmouth, uh, we we shoot for a 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs>
0: Interesting. So, but like, my my question oh, to you is like, just, yeah. and and also because you you're you're self-taught. Why should anybody, any young person, consider the college route if they want to venture into CS? Great
1: question. Love question. Uh, I was very critical of the educational system generally. Mm. Still am. Um, because at some point, we developed automation for cars, and we were like, oh, okay, we put everybody on a conveyor belt, and we run them through these big brick buildings right. all together and that was hundreds of years ago at this point and we are not doing it much better now with education like it hasn't changed right um there's some advances (laughs) but overall it's still kind of a conveyor belt system it's not it's not a very personalized individualized um so we can talk about education for a long time but when i came to Dartmouth, i had kind of disres. i wouldn't say disrespect but um, i was very critical at some point I was complaining because I had d- done some calculations. I was like, okay, a Dartmouth class, at the time it was $5,000 per class, but now I think it's closer to seven. Um, so like, I divided by class hour and I was like, it's like $200 a class hour. This is not worth $200. <laughs> this professor like giving a, a lecture right now, this lecture is not worth $200. <laughs> and one, I was absolutely right, but I had a friend who was like, that's not what you're paying for. Like, What you pay for is, cohort of students around you who are engaged interested and you're going to learn way more from them than from any other professors and that proved true um i mean professors were awesome and uh, i i love many of them and the classes Mm. were great but the classes were structure for learning right and and the cohort was the important part um because i wouldn't have been able to do it without the friends and peers in each of the classes Mm. Um, and so I started believing in that. I think what I believe is that having a cohort of people to learn with is important, whether you do it in a very expensive brick building or in your living room with your friends, eh, uh, unclear.
0: Um, so I met, I met a, a lady, um, at Dartmouth Dining. Um, I think one of the freshmen came pretty early and we were having a conversation and sadly. So what do you want to do? Like, where do you see yourself? What programs? And she sounded pretty confused. I like, was like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do at this point. Like, maybe I want to take some CS classes. Maybe I want to do some economics. Maybe I want to do some some biomedical stuff. Or maybe I and I'm like, so where is your passion? Like, where, where do you see you yeah. heading into in the future? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> so my thing was, somebody like this, what what kind of advice would you give her? I mean, based off of your experience yeah. of working and being a student and building Dali and
1: everything. So uh, it's funny you should ask, because um, when I was first sort of doing this, taking classes on the side thing, you know, I was jumping from things. I was just exploring. Uh, at one point I wanted to, be a philosophy professor because i had taken <laughs> one philosophy class
2: you know
1: one it was great <laughs> then i tried a high upper level full class and I was like, it was yeah. <laughs> but every intro class i took i was like
0: yeah oh, i, I want to do this
1: <laughs> this is it i <laughs> found it um and then you know but it was good to explore um and at one point his friend polinsky um and we were walking it was like 3 a.m we were walking through the golf course and he was like, you know, Tim, you always struck me as somebody who doesn't have any ambition. Like I was like, what do you mean, dude? <laughs> like, you're just you don't have a plan. Like you're doing fun stuff and you're taking classes, but you don't have a plan. And I started thinking about it and it was like, Yeah, I have no idea. I, I had no plan. Uh, no five year, no ten year, right. no
0: no no dreamy. You were just living life as it. Started. I was just living life. I was right. like I
1: was hiking a lot because hiking's awesome. White mountains, um, taking classes. It, it was it was beautiful. Um, but he got me thinking of like, well, me, if you don't have a plan or you're confused or you don't know where you're going. I mean, it's just because you didn't give yourself a chance to think about where you want to go
2: mm.
1: and often that's scary right it's like oh i don't know like there, there's a lot of options but if you don't even think about it then you know ne- you'll never get you'll never have the dream you'll, you'll you'll never form a thought about it um and at some point i'd love to talk about sort of thinking alone because mm. i don't think a lot of people i find myself like i'm actually Scared of being alone without, with just my thoughts, mm. um, without like a device to distract me or like input or listening to an audiobook. Like I think modern culture where we're all seeking inputs all the time, right. because we don't think our output, which is just like you know listening to your brain mm. think, right? We don't think that's valuable somehow. But I think it's very valuable because how are you going to have a dream of where do you want to go in five ten years? Mm-hmm. If you don't let yourself daydream, if you don't just sit there at the bus stop and not pull out your phone Uh and be like, hmm, I wonder. (laughs) Um, So luckily, partially because of this friend, I allowed myself to to sort of think about what would be cool. Um, So I think allowing yourself the chance to dream is important. Hmm. Um, So that would be my advice. Also not to Mm. self-limit. Be like whatever goal you sort of imagine for yourself, it's still a journey. And along that journey, you'll find new things. So if you pick something that, you know, you think like, oh crap, like I want to be a doctor. Mm. How am I going to get there? (laughs) Um, you can start and you might find that that thing isn't for you, but you'll meet some people. You'll learn some stuff along the way and it'll open up new opportunities. Right. And you'll learn more about yourself. Right. But if you don't give yourself a chance, if you're like, yeah, no. Uh, I don't think I can do that. Mm. Then you never even explore that possibility and forever will it be like this little itch that you're like, ah, I thought I could, but, but I gave up on it. Um, it's silly. It's silly advice.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. So,
1: fetch-flop. Um, but, but, it, but weirdly, I think it's important to, to, to just daydream and then take steps in whatever direction you want. Right. Um, as long as you take a step, You'll learn something, you'll move, and you're not just sitting still. Sitting still is
0: bad. Just to round up your last words to um, students, to young people who are doing the listening, um, who are watching and, and they see, because we've touched on a lot of things about your life and, and this, this tech journey that you're on. I mean, they, they want to they they start a journey in tech. What would you tell them? What would be like the one thing that you would tell a young person, let's just say 13 or 14-year-old who is finding tech interesting?
1: I think my biggest piece of advice is just find something that you care about. Um, If you care about a problem, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out how to solve it. You Mm. will figure out how to build it. You'll be persistent and it'll innate it'll you'll bring your passion creativity and all of those things will bring that it'll bring those out in you and enable you to do that mm-hmm. but you have to care and start so if 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 you want to build a silly little chess game eh, just start somewhere right. um, try coming up with an idea for the chess game whatever um like those are the important bits yeah. um, I don't think I have anything more more specific um, get together with friends try to do something cool with friends. I was realizing this recently and this is a this is a new thought process that I'm that I'm having. When I was a kid, I had friends that and this actually comes up in this book too. Uh, when I was a kid, I had friends that we would kind of do everything with. Like, if I was, I wanted to build a fort, whatever it was, it's just like you call them up and you hang out, and right. you're like your default person to do right. stuff with. Um, in this book, they mention that that's not true anymore for kids, that kids are having less and fewer friendships and more acquaintances. So they go to school, and they're acquaintances with everybody so like they're playing like some sort of social game like yeah. uh, uh, they're sharing what they're doing with each other but they don't do things with each other at the same way that i, th- we, used I the...
0: we used to do think we used to do
1: um that's a little scary that like the distraction of a device of uh sharing to the world rather than like doing with with others um uh, that's kind of a significant change. And you know, I, I don't want to say that there's only one way to interact yeah. or anything like this. I think that there are wonderful ways where people find supportive communities online for you know, for traumas or whatnot. I, I think those are important moments. Um but I think human human do stuff together and, and, and be open and honest and invest in each other and all yeah. those things. Um yeah. Look up the Dolly values online and follow those and you'll be a good person. And also get to build stuff. Uh, maybe, um, yeah, that's a little silly, but, um, and a little bit of a tangent, but something interesting that I've been thinking about, cause I don't have friends like that anymore. Like I'm doing a house project. I don't have a default friend to mm. be like, Hey, can you help me hold up this board and name right. it? Like there are friends I could reach out to, but I don't and. And so i just struggle through it on my own or do it with my wife but um but that's weird it's lonely uh, <laughs> even though like i i believe in having those things and i'm trying
0: do you think it's, think it's, it's, a, it's, just, it's a, a part just of growing up like so you, you've grown up and you're, you're like everybody's life has evolved into something else and for instance now you're not living in boston anymore like
1: you're, you're, yeah
0: right and People that you, I mean, if they were closer, you could have done things together with, or that when you, or is it that when you grow up, you need to, you need to sort of have new friends that would replace who you used to have back in the day, like, like, like functional friends
1: sure I think that's true like you grow apart you're closer together with other people but I think by and large as a society we're having fewer of those kinds of friendships (laughs) um yeah I I think it's just becoming more prevalent and more normal that are we just yeah there's fewer real in-person hangouts where it's just like let's just spend time together sit around a fire or like I have some chores to do. Yeah. <laughs> you want to come over? <laughs> like, nobody does it. Oh, we're all very busy and we're all doing right. stuff. And, and and we're all busy sort of sharing these kind of select moments of our lives with our friends. Mm-hmm. And being like, I'm doing such cool stuff. Check out my Insta. But when it comes down to it, it's like, no, no, just come over and hang out. Like, who cares about that other stuff? Um, so that that's something that I'm sort of struggling through, right. trying to figure out, like, How do we bring value back to slowing down, doing more things together or having that kind of default, like, Hey, knock on the door of your friend and be like, Hey, what are you up to? Nobody does that. Nobody goes over to each other's houses like that. Um, Hmm. maybe that's a new England thing, but I, I, I don't think, I think, I think that's something everybody yearns for, but nobody really has um those kind of like really close community connections.
0: We need to have a conversation about about this. Um Yeah, yeah, we do. Because I have a lot of, I have a lot of other questions, but we need to round up, man. This this has been a very nice time. I told you it was going to be an intense conversation. Like yeah, we we've had to talk about a lot of things and thank you for making time, man. You yeah, you're you a pretty busy stopping. person and yeah. thank you for sharing a part of your life with us and thank you for No, I, I always giving, love hanging out with you um students the young people hope get them to know that
1: sorry i just talked all the time But
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man the dolly lab is shipping amazing stuff i mean you heard about the two cool projects that are about to. they're all got cool, the cool. world they're you know like we've dolly has shipped a bunch of amazing projects you know but be on the lookout for these two they're coming up pretty soon but yeah thank you for watching catch you again in the next one peace out